You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It is Friday the 25th of February and welcoming you warmly once again to Riyadh ahead of the Saudi Cup. It's the eve of the world's richest horse race today. Uh, Just a slightly stiffer breeze here in Riyadh today, slightly more cloud in the sky, but still temperatures up in the mid to high 20s and set fair for tomorrow where the ground is likely to be firm and fast on the turf and dirt tracks respectively. Very interesting intervention this morning in the Saudi Cup press conference from Amr Zidane. The Saudi national who is the owner not only of Country Grammar, who runs in this year's Saudi Cup, but also of the late Medina Spirit, the horse we've spoken so much about, who this week not only was officially disqualified from the Kentucky Derby of 2021 for that medication positive, but also found in the post-mortem to be not showing any signs that required further investigation by the California Horse Racing Board. That came through yesterday. As for Zidane, he issued a a measured, eloquent and impassioned speech in press conference this morning, not only suggesting that he would fight on, and indeed his words would prevail, in appealing the decision to disqualify Medina Spirit, but also uh, perhaps the strongest and most articulate defence yet uh, of Bob Baffert and advocacy of his skills as a trainer. In a moment, I'll be joined by Emma Berry, European editor of the Thoroughbred Daily News, who was in the press conference and the questions were posed by Martin Kelly. But first of all, let's hear Zidane. First of all, on Baffert. Um, well, I'll... Uh, Bob Baffert is, is the best trainer in the world, in my view, and, and the view of many, many others. Uh, in 2000, I think it was 18, 18 uh, late 18, Bob and I had an accidental meeting, and we've agreed to work together. And we, we bought uh, a horse or two. Then we bumped into each other again, and uh, we put out the plan. And the plan was uh, to uh, win the Kentucky Derby. And uh, I, I still think we're the Kentucky Derby winner. We just hit it off very well. Bob is a very, very nice guy. I mean, he is someone you could just walk up to and he would know who you are. And you would assume, you obviously know who he was, but he'll just sit there for any for, for, for good. Uh, we spent an hour just talking about horses and everything. So why don't we work together? And uh, that that's just how it came about. And uh, and uh, he's he's a solid man. He's, he's someone that I hold in the highest, highest uh, respect. I mean, I said that in my acceptance speech, right? I mean, there are some professions that are more artistic than they are, they are practical. Uh, and Bob, Bob's, Bob's a Picasso. Uh, it just comes naturally. I mean, even when, and for instance, in one of Medina's races, he, he wasn't sure which race to go to. So he just, he just told me, that I'll just wait, it'll come to me and he'll make a decision. So you have that artistic approach in the form of Bob Baffert and everything just comes seamless and natural and it's not really forced. And I, and, I, and, I, and I saw that and I knew immediately if you can team up with someone of that caliber, the results will definitely follow. So that was 
Medina Spirits owner Amir Zidane's um, passionate tribute to trainer Bob Baffert, something we haven't heard an awful lot of in the last couple of years, for sure. Uh, Emma Berry's the European editor of Thoroughbred Daily News and, and was sitting alongside watching on in the press conference. When you were listening to, to Zidane talk about Baffert like that, Emma, what, what did you feel? Because it was something slightly different from the conversation that we've been having. Yes, it is. From the outside, you can look in on these stories and, you know, draw your own conclusions, you know, think about where your, your own feelings lie. It's quite different when you hear firsthand in the same room from a man who's been at the heart of the story. And I suppose, first of all, you'd say it's heartening in some ways to hear that level of loyalty to a trainer. We all know that there are plenty of owners who have differing levels of loyalty. So in that sense, he's very much nailed his colours to Bob Buffett's mast, and that's admirable, an admirable trait to, you know, they're clearly a team. He says, we decided to work together. He sees it as a partnership, you know, his trainer and he's the owner and, and you know, they're in it together. And hearing his emotions, not just this morning in the press conference, but on Wednesday at the draw, you know, his voice almost broke a little when he said, it's been an emotional week for me. You know, he's lost the Kentucky Derby. He's lost the horse in December. That's heartbreaking enough. You've been up so high um, one minute winning, you know, the, the race he set out to race and then having, the, you know, the rug pulled from beneath you in spectacularly awful fashion. You know, you have to feel for the man, no question. Um, but... The fact remains that this horse tested positive for a banned race day substance. No matter how small that amount was, rules have been broken and rules are there to be followed for everyone. Well, he expanded on that and expanded on exactly how he learned about the banned substance in the horse's system after the Kentucky Derby and the processes that were followed. But um, first of all, talked about exactly how he felt when he learned that the Kentucky Derby had been taken away. I was, I was, I was up on the highest mountain and I was thrown off a cliff. But, uh, I mean, the Medina... Medina is, is a horse that I will forever cherish. Uh, Medina, and, and I don't mean to sound sentimental, he is, uh, I get emotional every time I just watch them. I, I stopped watching the race, but uh, we came into the race not expecting a whole lot. Uh, we were 12 to one. And I, I still have text messages from Bob, and Bob told me there's speed on the outside. We do have a chance. And, uh, and, and we won. Um, uh, Medina developed a rush. It's a, it's a fungal rash at his hind uh, hind hip, and we've noticed that post Santa Derby, and that's one of the reasons why he came in second through Walk the World. Um, and um, we've uh, we've received uh, our our uh, veterinarian's prescription for Automax, and we've applied that all the way up to race day. And little did we know that uh, that contained uh, betamethasone, uh, betamethasone valerate, and there's a major distinction so obviously nine days out i got a call from bob he was about to board a plane go to kentucky says we have a problem and and um, they came in and and, and and i don't think they've served the notice in the right manner they they went into jimmy barnes and they've basically in front of everybody said we have this issue and usually these matters are dealt with a trainer in private until we have a proper debriefing so um it was announced and uh bob went back in and, and we figured out it was it was the ointment and we were on a mission to prove that there was no foul play, there was no violations. 
and uh, we believe in due process and uh, uh, everything transpired from there. So more uh, interesting thoughts there from, from Amir Zidane. Emma Berry still alongside me. I, I suppose the thing that struck me there, Emma, was yeah, that all sounds very measured, very cool, very calm. You feel, don't you, or at least I felt, that if that's what Bob Baffert had said, if that had been his tone in the immediate aftermath, then this might have just played out slightly differently, at least in terms of the public's perception of it. Looking back, none of it was played out satisfactorily um, the whole way it was handled on both sides, I think, was very unfortunate in, in the immediate aftermath. Um, I do still feel, however, this comes down to the basic sort of stable management failing of looking at what on earth you're putting into or onto a horse in the build-up to any race, no matter a big race like the, the Kentucky Derby. It's, it's vital that that, that level of, of detail is, is adhered to. And, um, yeah, indeed following the you know the positive test um there could have been a different stance taken that perhaps would have taken some of the fire out of all of this situation yeah and i think you're right there there was an awful lot of heat at the time but not an awful lot of of light and perhaps only some of that light is beginning to be shed now and certainly when martin kelly who was hosting the press conference asked amir zidane why he believed he had a chance in subsequent appeals of, of overturning the KHRC's verdict, uh, he really sought to, to drill down deeply into the different compounds of better methazone. And this is what he had to say. So, okay, so you've got two better methazone, yeah. right? So you've got better methazone valerate and you've got better methazone acetate. The Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, the playbook, basically makes a distinction between an ointment and an injectable. Uh, during the period of wanting to verify what source or how the bethamethasone got into Medina Spirit system, we went through the court system and we obtained a ruling to send a sample, the urine sample, Medina's urine sample, to industrial in New York. It took a long time there, so there was no purpose delay from anyone else. At the end of the day, Dr. Malin, at industrial, at the order of the court, determined that the betamethasone in Medina system was the ointment. There's absolutely no traces and there is no trace of any injectable betamethasone. Now, for everyone's information, betamethasone is a legal substance that is not permissible on race day. It has absolutely no performance enhancing uh, composition whatsoever. The amount found in Medina was 21 picograms. So it's like a picogram is one billionth of a gram. So if I had an apple and I wanted to feed 20, sorry, it's, it's one trillionth of a gram, not one billion. So a picogram is one trillion. So if I had an apple and I wanted to feed 21 trillion people, every person would get nothing, zero. It's like three drops of water in three Olympic sized swimming pool. So it's completely negligible. I believe in due process and, and I believe there is a unjust, uncalled for, um, I'm trying to be political here, um, there's an unjust and uncalled for, uncalled for um, witch hunt on Bob Baffert. Yes, I mean, we, there is a process, right? There is, first of all, uh, the stewards hearing. I was I was on the I was I was in, I was I was on the Zoom call with the hearing, 
and we've submitted our case. We actually felt good because we've made the distinction. We, we looked at the cook, at the uh, at the rule book, and we've we've defended our case. Their ruling came out, which is fine, and we respect that. But hadn't made reference to what was found in Medina and what form and what shape. They immediately on that on President's Day, which was I think a Monday, came out with their ruling, which is fine. We expected that, but there is a process, which is a state process and an appellate process. Now, obviously, Churchill Downs is a private property, right? I don't control which sign they put up and which sign they put down. This is immaterial for me. Did it hurt me? Yeah, of course it did, you know, seeing the sign come down, but I'm a big boy, you know, we, we roll the punches. But where we are right now is we are going through the full due process. We have filed for a stay. We have filed for an appeal in front of the Kentucky Racing Commission, and I have the highest respect for all, and I understand and I believe that once our case is objectively considered, we will prevail. Yeah, and that is really the most powerful part of the interview, uh, the part where he, he insists that there's a witch hunt against Baffert. And at the very end there, Emma Berry, he says, we will prevail. When he said we will prevail, did you believe that, that he would and that he'd take this all the way to the Supreme Court? I suspect he might do the latter. He may well do. Clearly, we haven't heard the last of it. And as we all know, court proceedings in, in these sorts of matters can drag on and on. And this, this case has already, the story has already dragged on for 10, 10 months. Um, I, I suggest that probably everyone would like a conclusion to it, not least Amazonan himself. Um, I think the, the nice part of it as well was that he was very magnanimous in having lost this too. I mean, he's lost the race to Mandaloon, who is here in Saudi. And I know, you know, he's his speaking to his connections and and they've been very gracious as well it's clearly a deeply unfortunate situation for both sides to have this uncertainty hanging over what is you know really really important race the witch hunt issue is is interesting isn't it and because that's where you know we conflate the sort of personal and and the professional i mean you've made the point that uh, a medication overage or a breach of the rules is a breach of the rules and and that's that it's it's in the book but do you think Zidane's got a case that, that there's a witch hunt against Baffert, that there are people in the United States who simply want to see him taken down at all costs and it's irrespective of the offence? Certainly it appears that there are many people who are very frustrated with the constant um, transgressions, if you like, of that stable. And there have been many, and that's what really this is about. Um, if you take this Medina Spirit case in isolation, it's not nearly so bad. Um, it's still a you know, a post-race positive in America's biggest race, but it's coming on the back of all the other positives that had happened within a short period of time, and that's why we are where we're at with this story. Um, Witch hunt is a strong word. Um, We need trainers all over the world to be adhering to the rules, and it's no good for racing if they're not doing that. It was a fascinating contribution, wasn't it? And and I think the tone of of Zidane there... Whilst he is clearly going to fight to the end, he's a, he's a very sort of urbane, eloquent speaker. And if Baffert wanted some positive PR, that was probably about as good as it's, as good as it's been, I would think, over the last 18 months or so. Very much so. He's a man who clearly holds Bob Baffert in the highest regard. He's his trainer, but in one sense he's also his good friend and he's clearly upset for his friend that he's been put through the ringer by a lot of the negative publicity surrounding this case. We're here to cover the Saudi Cup and people might say, well, hang on a minute, you're torpedoing the Saudi Cup and 
talk of country grammar your own horse by 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 bringing this into the equation but i think that, that zidane and, and prince bandar who runs the sandy cup are, are very friendly and i i certainly think prince bandar was was quite keen to allow him to use the platform to to express his his feelings Clearly, that was the Saudi Cup press conference this morning. He talked about country grammar as well. And country grammar is effectively here because Medina Spirit sadly isn't. The plan was for Medina Spirit to come. He's now sadly dead. So this, this was, you know, back to the drawing board and let's see what horse we can, you know, bring, bring over. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he comes here knowing that he's, he's an outside chance for that race. Um, but, yes, he's clearly a man who wants to support racing in, in his home country. And... Um, but also to be supporting Bob Baffert very vocally, you know, on a big stage like today. Let's talk about the, the race itself. Um, from your perspective as a, as a sort of international racing and bloodstock journalist, Emma, what interests you about it the most? What sort of facet of the Saudi Cup makes most appeal to you? Well, how quickly it has grown into the race we have tomorrow, we're speaking obviously now on Friday morning, um, of a real mix of internationals, which is what you hope for any big race this is the first year with group one status Mishriff is here again wonderful Mishriff who really has lifted this meeting and um, you know he's a French classic winner he's won group ones in Dubai and in France um, and in Britain sorry and you know here he is again which is wonderful we've got Mandaloon is he or isn't he the Kentucky Derby winner we're saying yes he is officially at the moment of course he is Midnight Bourbon as well who's you know his trainer so uh, positive about him it it has a lot of depth not least Japanese runners as well um, and I think that's you know John Gosden arrived this morning and said you know this really is a, ra- a race with such depth and I think he was referring to even from last year we're seeing another level again of of international participation which is fantastic to see who do you think is going to win oh I'm with Mishra if I'm a new market girl Mishra even from store 14 yes he's just a wonderful horse he's so adaptable he's so versatile he looks terrific I love his relaxed attitude of course it's an awful draw but I think if anyone can uh, can pull it out of the bag from there Mishriff and David Egan who's got a great cool head on him can do so I, I sort of considered his career and thought French Derby Judmont International Shima Classic you know he might end up being a dual winner of the Saudi Cup you know richest racehorse ever blah blah for, for whatever that's worth uh, in terms of you know his, his place in history but um I wondered whether he was a sort of horse you could be a sort of fanboy or a fangirl over. But actually, speaking to a lot of people around here today, I think he is beginning to sort of get that sentimental vote as well. Absolutely. I mean, for me, you know, top-class racehorses must race way beyond their three-year-old season. And, and that's what he's doing. It's wonderful to see. He's not only, you know, he's a beautiful animal. It's a great story behind him. He's effectively come home, if you like, even though he's bred in Europe. But his, his own breeder, Prince Faisal, you know, is such a passionate supporter of the sport all around the world. And this is generations of breeding for him, culminating in this wonderful horse. So, you know, for that alone, I think you can really get behind him and, um, you know, and hope that we see him, as you say, become the richest, biggest earner in the world. All right, as the TDN's European editor, now, do you not want to get on your soapbox and plead with somebody in Europe to stand this horse as a stallion? Because Prince Faisal obviously wants him to. The Japanese, I'm sure, would have him in a heartbeat because they kind of think outside the box and they realise the versatility. But surely somebody wants to be standing this horse, don't they? 
Absolutely, they should. I was, you know, pretty upset to see Poetic Flair go to Japan last year, or for this season starting, and he'll be well supported there. Um, you know, Mishrif's a wonderful racehorse. It's a terrific line. It's coming, you know, coming through Dubai and Dubai, going back to Dubai Millennium. Um, we're not short of that line now in Europe, but it'd be great to see him. He has to has to stand in Europe eventually. I, I don't know where that will be, but let's let's hope so. You know, he he is absolutely deserving of a first class stud birth when he retires. Do you think it's just the fact that he's by make-believe and people think, I can't have one by make-believe? Well, that would be a very short-sighted view to take as well. And I mean, look at his female family, you know, and look at what he's done on the race course. That's what the Japanese really appreciate. They love form. And he's a terrific-looking animal, as I have already said. I mean, to me, he has it all. It would be crazy for him not to get a, a good place at start. Yeah, but I was speaking to someone quite close to the horse, and they said, oh, yeah, probably head off to Japan, and sort of shrugged rather resignedly, and, yeah, he could end up being the next Sunday silence. And I thought, well, many a true word spoken in jest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, pro- it, the Japanese are way ahead of us when it comes to, you know, world, the way they set up their whole racing programme, you know, the way they value their form love to see their horses racing on and on and you know it's extremely rare for a derby winner to retire stud there without having raced for another two years at least and they kind of look down on the horse if they haven't done that and i mean that's what we're breeding them for to compete we want to see them stand that test you know mentally physically that's really important and it would be a crying shame if mishra doesn't stand and start in europe well, our coverage of the Saudi Cup here on the Nick Luck Daily Podcast this week is supported by HBA Media, the company that is responsible for distributing this event worldwide and also look after the Breeders' Cup, Royal Ascot, Melbourne Cup, Dubai World Cup, the Pegasus World Cup, pretty much anything else with a cup in it, uh, all the major international horse racing events. HBA's managing director is Frank Sale, who joins me now. Frank, your role this week is really crucial because, you know, you're not only running the distribution, but you're effectively overseeing uh, the production of this world broadcast that will try not to mess up for you. Um, this is only an event that's three years old. How how warmly has the world welcomed the Saudi Cup in terms of a in terms of a major horse racing event as a television event? Nick, thanks. Great to be back here. Uh, year three, and this year I think uh, with record crowds, twenty thousand people, uh, a course record. So that will be great for the world to see as well. Um, I think in terms of how the, the, the racing and sporting audience uh, has reacted to the Saudi Cup couldn't be more positive. Um, we've now got 32 broadcasters around the world in just the third year broadcasting the live Saudi Cup. Um, and, you know, we've also seen pick up amongst major sports broadcasters in regions that we haven't had before. Uh, ECLAT in Southeast Asia um, are going to be broadcasting the live Golden Hour. Uh, That's going on to their pay TV channels that have recently launched. And, you know, for for a network of that size who, who take Champions League rights, Premier League rights, it's great to have the Saudi Cup sitting alongside those. Uh, for the first time this year, we're live in India on Sony Networks, um, which again is uh, a first for this event and something that we're, we're really excited uh, to bring the Indian audience. Um, and as per last year, live on Fox Sports in America, TVG are also broadcasting live this year. Uh, so, you know, uh, a very strong pickup. How important then is that? Southeast Asian market to, to horse racing, to the, tele, to the televising of horse racing globally moving forward? 
I think what we're trying to do at HBA is expand the footprint uh, of this great sport amongst the, the sporting audience. Um, HBA have recently done a deal with, with RMG, Racecourse Media Group, which brings even more exclusive racing under our banner. And what that does is create a year-round narrative uh, that we believe the sport hasn't had before from a media perspective. Um, and that just helps expand the reach um, of, of, of some of the biggest events in the sport to new audiences. You know, uh, the Southeast Asian market hasn't been strongly represented, to be totally honest. And that's changing. And I think that's changing because from month to month, we can offer a year-round package with some of the biggest events that can be delivered consistently. It gives broadcasters and platforms around the world opportunities to plan and promote within their schedules to some of the biggest audiences um, in their regions. You talk about the golden hour, that, that one hour, that crucial hour of, of television. What's the thinking behind that? What's the concept? I think when you look at the golden hour, it is, it's something that can be taken a lot more easily by the bigger sports networks. Most racing coverage... Well, because we, it's hard to sell them like six and a half hours of TV. Exactly, exactly that. Uh, you look at most racing coverage around the world... It's four to five to six hours long. It's domestically focused. It's brilliant, but it is that. It is domestically focused. The Golden Hour is a one-hour show that is designed to appeal to the wider international audience. It speaks to fans who might not know a lot about the sport. Uh, and it speaks to fans who, you know, might want to just tune in to see what the richest race in the world is in Saudi Arabia, as an example. So we oversee the, the production of the Golden Hour um, with IMG uh, running the production and doing a brilliant job on that. Um, and, you know, our aim is to create Golden Hours for each of our major events um, under our banner uh, and roll those out to the biggest platforms and networks globally. Well, it is Friday. It's the eve of the Saudi Cup. A race, really that could have been designed for the thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings james willoughby is here and james i say that because you really do get a genuine international representation of some of the best horses across three continents uh, in circumstances and at a track where they should all really be able to to do something close to their best absolutely very well put this isn't a computer simulation it's an actual race it's a it's a real horse race. Okay, how do you how do you assess the strength of it? You're not somebody for for hyperbole. Um, how good a group of horses is the 2022 Saudi Cup group? What I would say is that this is the best race the sport has yet put on between top turf horses and top dirt horses on a level playing field, and that's the point. And the point here is that the dirt track at King Abdulaziz Racecourse combines organic material I think it's bark isn't it and naturally occurring sand and whether by design or, or perhaps by chance it's um, stability in a very dry climate like uh, Riyadh means that it kind of mimics a sort of polytrack surface yet better than even polytrack the truth with polytrack is it emphasizes finishing speed and it takes away from the dirt horse the advantage of early pace 
problem with dirt is it's so attritional and the level of kickback is such that it takes away from the turf horse the lake pace which is a feature of the top runners on that surface and what this track does is combine both it levels the playing field it means you can win with a turn of foot you can win from the front and that means we can see horses like Mishrith and seal away from the world of turf racing against horses like Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon who are top class American three-year-olds from last year which is um, a generation that we raved about on TRC Global Rankings throw in some extra elements as well and you've got one of the most enthralling if not the most enthralling race that the sport has put on um, let's let's get these ranked then these 1 to 14 uh, in the in the Saudi Cup where do, where do the rankings see these horses finishing and have they got a clear order of finish do you think no I don't think they do Mishrif last year's champion is a horse I think who is higher regarded by the kind of conventional handicappers of this world for his international uh, stakes winning effort because the uh, world's best racehorse rankings and other collateral form rankings love wide margin wins they love nothing more than for horse to put a space between itself and overmatched foes so they can put on a massive figure TRC Global Rankings takes a portfolio approach and Mishrift just has too many cuts and bruises on his record to be regarded as an absolute worldie what he does on the world stage is show that there are no horses in training that can match him for tenacity, will to win, finishing strength in a race. And so when he's involved in a close finish, he just tends to win. But we have seen other performances. The latest, of course, was the Champions Stakes at Ascot, in which if you watch an ISO of him galloping along with Sealaway uh, in proximity to him, you would think to yourself, well, one of these horses just like, looks like a world-class athlete, and the other one looks like he's a bit of a grinder, a bit of an accumulator. Now, that quality... Uh, has carried Mishrift to some very, very good forms and very, very good wins. And if he wins this, he becomes the world's all-time leading racehorse in terms of prize money won. But I think that he's not be unbeatable by any means, even on his best day. And uh, it'll be interesting to see which of the horses raised against him steps, steps up. Are, are there simply too many American horses with quite a good chance in this that are drawn favourably? For Mishrift to overcome that's the question I want to ask because you've quite often talked about the effect of multiple foes on a horse are there just two are there just one too many Americans with a good solid chance in this race it's a very good point and, and the way I look at a horse race dynamically is that people think of it as a rather one-dimensional entity who's got to get from the start to the finish in the fastest time but that's not the way that it actually works when you look at sectional times and you look at the minutiae of performance you see that there are numerous numerous races within a race maybe small sections of the course where horses throw very fast sections at each other and it's that which causes them to crack and that is for that reason that horses trail in, in ever increasing intervals as you go back down through a result because horses basically become exhausted by trying to match speed so speed and stamina aren't different things they're just different sides of the same coin and in a race like this where there's going to be a lot of internal pressure caused by the japanese horse we haven't yet touched on yeah. okay it's coming off a monster performance and another Dirt horses, American dirt horses who like to get on with it. Mandaloon's a stalker. Midnight Bourbon has got a ton of early pace. He'll be getting on with it as well. 
and it means that for a horse like Mishriff, who's going to have to be dropped in from a wide gate from his track 14 stall, he's going to have to work his way in and make probably quite a few different efforts to win this. He's going to have to make an effort to get there and another one to put away. Now, he showed he can do this because he's so tenacious. He's got so much will to win and so much zest for racing. But this has proved really right up his street in the past. The question is, are there going to be horses who find that extra gear in front of him and mean that he's not able to get there again with that second effort, that third effort? And I think that's what we, we, viewers who watch this race will see. They'll see Mischief having to find a succession of gears uh, as he comes from off the pace. And because it's a surface that doesn't hamper the turf, the dirt horse, it's really going to have to be the biggest wall that he's ever fought here. Okay, so of those, I'll deal with Japanese in a minute, of those four Americans, where does the TRC computer put them? Right, Mischief, I should have mentioned, is number 13 in the world. He has been higher. Um, then we got Mandaloon, number 22. He warmed up by winning uh, a group three at fairgrounds, a grade three, sorry, yeah. at fairgrounds, in which he beat Midnight Bourbon, who's 167. Now, Midnight Bourbon is as low as 167, only because he, he hasn't actually won... Um, any graded stakes yet uh, but he's got some very very good form with the best of the three-year-olds last year he's got trc computer race ratings of 123 121 and 120 which are commensurate normally with top 10 and i think that's where he's going to end up so he is a big threat to all the son of tis now he's got tons of early pace as well i don't think he's quite right at the fairgrounds i figure that he gives mandaloon more to deal with here so those are the two uh, top American three-year-olds and I think they're going to be involved somewhere in the finish okay so those are the two best ones Mandaloon and, and Midnight Bourbon of course Mandaloon's also warmed up for this as we've been hearing earlier in the program by uh, uh, quote-unquote winning the Kentucky Derby earlier in the week um, let's let's discuss this Japanese challenge then we know about Marsha Loren the distaff winner no, no one in Japan seems to still believe that she won the Breeders' Cup distaff but she did they definitely believe James they definitely believe you heard from now here on the podcast earlier in the week that T.O. Keynes is the real deal uh, on, a, on a dirt surface listen to Thady Gosden on the podcast yesterday his eyes started bulging when he started talking about T.O. Keynes he's like oh my god I'm terrified of this yeah well it's, it's an interesting horse to assess because he's got some good days and some bad days on his records. His good days are very good indeed. And we saw one of those at Chokyo in December when he won the Champions Cup, America, Champions Cup, uh, Japan's best dirt race. Uh, he won that by a space, six lengths. He looked really good doing it. We rank him only world number 81 simply because he's only running two graded stakes. Um, now, he's won both of them, and that's got him into the world's top 100 already. And he's one of a number of horses in this field, Nick, where I feel like you could attach a huge plus to their TRC global ranking. Either because in the case of Sealaway, he's got plenty of bad tape uh, from previously, and now goes to, I think, is a superstar trainer in Francis Henri Graffard. We have Real World sitting at number 32, who's never won a a top race a group called grade one he also has reeled off a succession of wins he's got frankie de Torre in his corner and he's driving but this t.o canes is the horse as you mentioned that's got the biggest upset upside of all 
James, because it is um, Friday and you're on the show and, and because I'm in, in Saudi Arabia and we're doing things a bit differently and we've talked a lot about the Saudi Cup, it befalls you for the first and perhaps only time on this podcast to, pr- to, be, to be given the honour, and I think it is an honour, of providing the, the Nick Luck Daily Podcast uh, tip for the day, which can of course come in this year's edition of the Saudi Cup, but could of course come from any race of your choosing in the next few days so um with that with that um e- extreme honor uh, granted you I'm, I'm hoping you're going to deliver in uh, in the fashion that i anticipate well this, this is an easy one it's a very competitive race but when we make selections we have to be mindful about the probability that we assign to a horse compared uh, with what's on offer in other words the value that we see in the price to me, Sealaway stands out an absolute mile here. He's available at 14, even 16 to 1 for this race in, in, in a place. What we know about this surface at Riyadh is that it enables turf horses to give their running. You watch Sealaway, he's a lovely athlete. He'd get over anything. He could run down the motorway, he could run across a bog. And I think the surface will really suit him. And just to emphasize, the reason why I am very excited about this horse in 2022 is my esteem for his trainer, Francis Henri Graffard. He's going to be the Andre Fabre of his generation. At the moment, he doesn't have the kind of reputation that will cause his horses to be cut in half. But if Fabre trained Sealaway back in the day, imagine he'd probably be second or third favourite for this for sure instead of which we're getting 14 to 1 with British bookmakers and that'll do for me James thank you very much thanks to Emma earlier and uh, very interesting thoughts from Amir Zidane at the beginning of the programme uh, I will be back in TW11 on Monday Charlotte will be here this evening for the Saturday edition that will be available from 9 o'clock GMT but from uh, all of us here in Riyadh have a great weekend bye bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.